Welcome to the Rename Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. With me this evening on the show, we have Chris. Yo. And Sam. Hello. This is another happy hour installment of the podcast, so things are going to be a little bit looser, a little bit more discursive, as we like to do every once in a while on the show. Um, that being said, we do have two pretty big things we want to talk about this week, so for all the looseness and discursiveness that we usually throw out here, we're also going to have a little bit of structure like every other show. So sorry for those of you who only like the happy hour podcast, um, those of you who like the show every week. It might sound more like that than it does every five weeks usually. Uh, we're going to be talking about Breaking Bad's fifth season mid-season premiere, I guess we should call it, um, the newest episode of Breaking Bad. We're going to be talking about Clear History, Larry David's TV movie on HBO. Um, basically, it's going to be a, a big packed show. Um, obviously, before we even get started, I will say we will start talking about Breaking Bad and Clear History without spoilers. I will clearly demarcate when we go into spoiler territory. So those of you who have not seen the mid-season premiere of Breaking Bad or Clear History yet and plan to watch them, don't worry. We'll let you know when uh, to skip ahead. So with that, why don't we why don't we um, shift the gears a little bit into Breaking Bad, gang? Or how about how are you guys doing? It's a happy hour podcast, right? I should ask that first. Can I just say it's probably better to start with clear history because I feel like if people it'll be much easier for people to accidentally um, skip ahead into Breaking into, Bad. Yeah. Well, if we if we finish with Breaking Bad, you could just stop listening to the podcasts once we'll we get into spoilers. spoiler territory. And I get spoilers. People care for, a lot less about spoilers of Clear History as well, um, because if you care about spoilers of Clear History, that's a different conversation we could have. Um, <laughs> no, you're an ins- you're an insane person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, fine, fair enough. Everyone everyone knows that the big plot twists in Larry David's work is what really is what people tune in for. Yeah, Where is it going to go next week? I don't know. I don't know. I just have no idea. Um, that's a good point, Sam. We will start with clear history instead of starting with Breaking Bad. That way, those of you who are especially Breaking Bad-averse um, could skip the entire segment if you haven't caught up on the show yet, or you can skip the spoiler portion of it. You guys see that? We just changed up the entire show lineup live on the air. Happy like Hour Podcast. Awesome. This is definitely the least What's going to happen next? You don't know? We don't know? It could be anything. I feel like I'm on the newsroom right now, and they're like, oh, my God, George Zimmerman just happened. Cut that tape. <laughs> Move this up. Move this down. That's, I'm like, yeah, behind God the scenes. Damn it. I'm fighting for America here. <laughs> behind the scenes of the Review Name podcast, we are basically uh, the newsroom. Chris we is actually our... have Emily Mortimer. She works the sound for oh, us. Oh, I was, so. was going to make a Chris is our Emily Mortimer joke. Oh, that would have been great. I know, yeah, Chris, right? Chris. Chris isn't our Emily Mortimer. Chris is Emily Mortimer playing Chris Trice. An unassuming, <laughs> an unassuming uh, former college student from upstate New York. Former college student is how you're defined. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know what's it like. Unassuming white guy named Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean this to go so dark so quickly. <laughs> Chris is an incredibly accomplished guy um, and not strictly a former college student. This is definitely a, a happy hour podcast at this point, uh, which is good. I was worried we were going to lose a little bit of that uh, happy hour vibe with this more structured show. But why don't we why don't we start talking clear history a little bit here? Um, Sam, why don't we start with you and your thoughts on clear history? Um, well, 
I, I enjoyed Clear History, but it's it's such um, it's like so disposable. I mean, it real it really was just a an extra long episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry not playing Larry David. He's just playing some other guy who's kind of in a in who kind of puts himself in kind of a Curb Your Enthusiasm story kind of on steroids. And there are a lot of really good cameos. There's a really good cast of uh, some funny people and Kate Hudson, and <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for it, it's. It has that Larry David vibe. It has JB Smoove, and of course, their back and forth is really fun to listen to. Even though there wasn't enough of that, John Hamm is uh, plays the other leading role as Larry's former boss, who was who invented this car and named it the Howard. And because the name was so stupid to Larry David, he quit the company, leaving. Ultimately, he's leaving a billion dollars on the table. He moves to Martha's Vineyard and kind of establishes his own life for himself. And and he's kind of he's kind of enjoying life as more of a kind of Larry David kind of crotchety guy. And when John Hamm's character moves to the island, hilarity ensues. And Larry David, as Larry David is one to do, he makes lots of bad choices. It's it's a curb episode, basically. Did anyone feel particularly different about this? No. I mean, to me, it was it is like a three times as long curb episode. I would say if I were to rank it as a curb episode, it would be an okay curb episode. Like I, I don't think that it's uh on par with the best of curb. I don't think it's it's a bad television movie by any stretch. It, I laughed. Um I laughed at basically the same type of things and in basically the same type of ways that I usually would on curb. Um with I think I think the one advantage of the movie, and we'll get more into this later, is that because it is a movie and it's self-contained, he can go a whole lot further in certain areas um, than he would ever let himself go as Larry on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. So maybe that would be the biggest difference to me. Chris, what were your general thoughts, and do you think it is just a giant Curb episode? Uh, I wasn't able to finish the movie, so I'm son of a bitch. Uh, but... From... Happy hour, man. Who cares, right? <laughs> God damn yeah. it. Bump up the Breaking Bad. Cut out the George Zimmerman tape. Drop this to the C block. We'll bring up Breaking Bad to the B block. Get get Dev Patel to start writing the D something. block and fuck the F block. I need, and... a, I need a graphic up behind Chris right now saying he did not watch the rest of Clear History. We're doing this for America, people. God damn it. George Zimmerman. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got about halfway through it. Uh, it sounds like it doesn't really change a whole lot in the second half based on what you guys are saying, because that's very much the impressions I had from the first half is what you guys were saying. It's an episode of Curb and not a great episode of Curb at that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it didn't really do a whole lot for me, to be honest with you. I don't really have a lot to say about it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> segment over now. Um, yeah, I think, I think that the, the takeaway is basically long curb episode, but why don't we, why don't we get a little bit more into the details here? Um, before we go into spoiler territory, Sam, who were some of your favorite, uh, performance performances in the movie that were sort of maybe not Larry and JB because we're used to seeing both of them together? Um, I really like seeing, uh, Michael Keaton and Bill Hader. They kind of play this duo who are kind of the explosive experts because part of Larry's scheme is to blow up John Hamm's house as kind of revenge and and Michael Keaton kind of plays this uh pyromaniac who is also hell bent on blowing up that house and 
I always like to see Michael Keaton do comedy. He basically slips into his Beetlejuice voice to play this character. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed seeing Bill Hader do just about anything, even though it was it was a very small part. Um, yeah, I think that they were my favorite parts. I like seeing John Hamm just like being in the same room as Larry, even though John Hamm was a bit more of a straight character. Um, yeah, that was my favorite part, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I think Hader did a lot with the fact that he has basically not a role at all. Um, I mean, like he he pretty much drops one joke that I thought was going to be more of a driver, um, and then wasn't at all, and then has a few other one-liners and is just sort of there otherwise. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Similarly to your thrill at seeing John Hamm in the same uh, shot as Larry David, I enjoyed seeing Amy Ryan around. Um, she also does not necessarily get a whole lot to do, but it was cool to see her. Yeah, there's basically just a running joke with her blowing all of Chicago, the band. <laughs> Which is also, like, gives gives uh, clear history its runner of Chicago uh, needle drops, which is sort of funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I like I like that kind of silliness. Yeah, I th- and I think um, maybe the best running gag clear history has going for it is the, the incessant random appearances of Chicago and Chicago-related humor. Yes. Well, clearly, I'm just guessing that they were able to get the guys from Chicago to be in it. So they're like, all right, Chicago's the band. Because Chicago is treated with great reverence in this movie. Maybe Larry just loves Chicago. Maybe. I do like a few Chicago songs, really, a lot. I like Saturday. It's a great song. 25 or 6 to 4. That's great also song. a song. I like that song. It's a good song. God damn it, Jordan. We're cutting <laughs> this segment. If I was making a Best of Chicago playlist, 25 or 64 would probably be on there. But if I were making a Best of Chicago playlist, I would be asking different questions about my life than what songs to put on it. Questions like, why didn't I do this earlier? <laughs> questions like, why don't I have four or five Chicago albums? Which is another <laughs> joke I loved. In it. How much do you like Chicago? Oh, I've got four or five albums. That's, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I feel like we may be running out of things that are not spoiler-ready to talk about on Clear History. Does anyone else want to say anything before we get into spoiler territory? Um, uh, other than, no. Other <laughs> than, like, the name of the, the movie is Clear History, and, like, Larry tries to kind of clear his own history and, like, take up this new identity at Martha's Vineyard. The whole, like, Clear History thing, like, doesn't really come into play at all. Like, there's no computers at all in this movie. It's like a weird thing they have going. Was anyone else confused by that? I mean, I felt like it was going to be a bigger deal since it's the title of the movie. But he what is a like, bigger deal. It's a zero deal. There's no, not a computer in this movie. I mean, he changes his name and tries to ignore his past. So, like, he has cleared his history in theory. Right. Well, there's yeah, that but, connection there. But but clear history, it's like a uh, like a computer. Well, the, the way it was, and like all, and the like way it was the opening and closing credit. Yeah, exactly. And that that yeah. wasn't just those credits. Like that's how they were marketing it on the uh, the HBO promos was that credit sequence and then like a quick flash of like, oh, here's here's this person who has a cameo. Who's here's this person who has a cameo. And that uh, the general idea that this is about somebody um, maybe taking credit for something or like it, it, I, I remember them marketing this as it seemed like in more of a computer internet type movie than 
it ended up being. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Sam. And I, I also I, I did so, I do feel like it being set in Silicon Valley, I sort of expected like the plot impetus to be something more computery than a car. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it it didn't like ruin anything. It was just like so. It was just odd because the movie was marketed that way, and also the the opening credits and the closing credits both had like the computer theme and like the mouse going around the computer and doing this thing. It was just odd. It was just an odd choice, I think. I mean, I wonder if at some point there was there were more computers involved and the improv took it in a different direction. But I feel like that's not the way Larry David works, so that would surprise me. No, and it's also not like they did the opening credits in the marketing and they're like, all right, let's make the movie around this. <laughs> you know, that all, that all came later. You yeah, know? it's a it's a it, it, it's a little weird now, but it didn't bother me literally at all. Um, I mean, now that we're talking about it, yes, I guess it's a little strange, but I wasn't like, I'm going to think more about this clear history title. I was just like, oh, Larry's here. Um, I haven't seen him for a while. Cool. And he's being right. Larry David. Yeah. Well, I'd much rather Larry start working on another season of Curb than more one-off movies. Because I thought this was, like, it was fine. Like you said, it was just, like, a good episode of Curb, I think. Um, it was just a long episode of Curb that was, like, a little bit weirder, I think, ultimately. And I guess we can start getting into yeah, why don't spoilers we, why don't about we why it was territory. So if you have not heard Clear History, skip ahead a couple minutes um, and jump into our Breaking Bad segment. Otherwise, we are going to say some things that happen in it. You probably won't care about anything we say. I don't think it'll change your enjoyment of the show like it often might when we spoil things. But that's your prerogative. If you don't want to know what happens in the clear history yet, skip ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Um, I think, you know, the, the premise is he's going to blow up the house and that they went through with it. They blew up the house and he went. It was just like such an extreme. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the end of Seinfeld in that it's like, we're going to punish this guy for actually being a bad person. And ultimately the entire movie was punishing Larry David for his kind of pettiness. You know, at the beginning he's punished for, you know, he hates the name and even though it's stupid, he probably shouldn't have left the company. And then he's punished for, you know, coming up with this crazy scheme to blow up the house where John Hamm is actually going to give him the billion dollars he's owed, but it turns out, Hey, he's going to blow up the house. So he's not going to get any of that and go to prison. And then the movie is capped with the with another Chicago getting blown by a love interest of Larry joke. And it kind of ends with him looking at the camera going, oh, no. And it kind of just reminded me of Seinfeld, actually, mostly him going to prison for the for blowing up the house, because it's it's kind of like it goes to a dark place that I don't think Curb really uh, wants to go. Well, at least not uh, while plans to keep running. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Curb will end with Larry David being thrown in jail. Um, <laughs> I bet I would. You know, where I, he has to flow Chicago. I wouldn't be surprised if Larry ended Curb with him being thrown in jail, just because everyone gives him so much shit for the Seinfeld finale. <laughs> like, I could totally see him ending Curb with a giant "fuck you." Like, and then Larry goes to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then everyone would give him shit about ending the ending Curb in such a stupid way. Yeah, but he doesn't care. He's incredibly rich. Yes, well. <laughs> how many people could say that ah, i don't care he's rich <laughs> I, could, I could do whatever i want um I, I i think i think i was okay with all these choices it kind of felt like oh man larry's just like killing himself here and i think i think he kind of likes putting himself in these situations where he's kind of knocked to the ground and i think he kind of gets a kick out of that it's kind of him getting a kick out of people swearing at him on camera 
um, which is always a Larry David trademark, and that's definitely prevalent in this movie. Um, I just, you know, I like the decision of him not helping the two women who were in a car accident to go try to stop the house from being blown up that he ordered. It's just kind of like a, kind of a perfect moment in Larry Davidisms. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed the very different um, and kind of completely, even consciously out of nowhere, decision to have like John Hamm be dying of some unnamed disease and the yes. house is actually being built <laughs> for children to come occupy while they fight the disease. Yes. It's like, preposterous. It's preposterous. It came out of nowhere, and yet it was like it was a good one-off joke, and then you got to have the bus full of sick children pulling up as the house explodes. Um, but that's that also the sort of thing that I feel like Curb probably wouldn't go that way. Like it's probably not going to have. Uh, obviously, it's not going to have Larry blow up a house, but it's also probably not going to have the the random, you know, John Hamm getting the disease. Uh, not even subplot. It's it's basically one scene and then a line at the end of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like it, it definitely felt like it was Larry David humor through and through. And um, this is all stuff that I could see like, oh, I could definitely see this happening if Kurt wanted to go a little bit darker or a little bit uh, less based in the real world. Even though certainly Kurt has gone, I mean, Kurt, he went to heaven for Christ's sakes, but uh, that was a little bit of a departure for the series. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of like I like those kind of absurd things, and I like Larry being bad, and I like people kind of yelling at Larry. That's these are all you know big, big points in uh, curb your enthusiasm that always kind of make me smile. And I like these things in the movie. I think ultimately, though, it just there was there was a lot of kind of padding there. I think, and um, you know, there was like a little thing where Larry thinks, oh, maybe he's gonna woo. Kate Hudson, who plays John Hamm's wife. And ultimately, while it turned out to just be like an okay joke with Kate Hudson, like actually being disgusted by Larry, I felt like that was all kind of a padding kind of waste of time. Um, I don't know. How'd you feel about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I like mostly I felt like it was a, it was a good sort of jab at the Woody Allen and occasionally Larry David thing of having sure. like, a much younger person be romantically interested in Larry would that which which is completely unrealistic i thought it was like clever in terms of that but i don't know that it was clever in terms of that to the point that it needed to be 20 minutes of the you know hour and 40 minute movie right um kate hudson was there i don't feel like i don't know that she did anything that really made me laugh um i don't know that her role couldn't have been played by a kate hudson cardboard cutout honestly um <laughs> but that's not really necessarily an insult to her so much as to the fact that the character doesn't really need to be there yeah, I mean, she doesn't particularly have a lot to do in this, um, so hard to blame Kate Hudson. Yeah, I. it's not Kate Hudson's fault that Kate Hudson wasn't given a whole lot to do in this movie. Um, that being said, Kate Hudson was not given a whole lot to do in this movie. Uh, and so if you are a huge Kate Hudson fan and hoping this is like fool's gold too, you will be disappointed, I would say. Fool's gold. Jesus Christ, I don't remember that. What was the plot of Fool's Gold? That's Jordan? Matthew Did McConaughey and her, like, pirates or something? No, I have not seen it. I have seen marketing for it and said, wow, another Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson movie that I'm not going to see. I think I watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days once on a bus. Oh, I've definitely seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. They, they get together in the end, right? Yeah, she does not lose the guy. And in fact, it's sort of like the... It's one of those endings where it's like, 
both of the characters are so terrible that I guess they should end up together, but it's like I can't <laughs> for it. Like, you're both so awful that I don't want you to end up happy with anyone. So, cool? I really, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that movie, which I think gets me in hot water a lot of the time, but sorry, Kate Hudson. I really liked you in Almost Famous. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. The point of that movie was, what, she's, like, writing an article on how to lose a guy in 10 days, but, like, <laughs> lose a guy in quotation marks? Can't you just, like, break up with him? No, I think she was, like, trying to chase him away as the plot of the movie. So what if she just told him, like, she's, like, you know, I don't know, secretly a man or something HIV like that? Positive. Yeah, look, it's not, like, it's not the most densely plotted movie that's ever existed, Sam. <laughs> Like, couldn't you, like, lose a guy, like, really easily by just saying, like, I hate you, go away forever? Um, yes, probably. But I don't think, I think the point of the article is, like, things... I should write an article called I would, How to Lose a Guy I, in 10 I Seconds. I would, like, yeah, I would like to bring back Challenge Accepted. Sam, your challenge is to lose a guy in 10 days. <laughs> to lose a, lose a guy? So it would be a guy. I mean, if, if you, you want to be a girl... Yeah, first, yeah, first thing you have yeah. to you have to make a guy fall in love with you. You have to spend six years with him, uh, and you guys run a bed and breakfast in Vermont, and then you have ten days to lose him. Yeah, <laughs> challenge accepted. All right, get back <laughs> get back to me in like ten years, and we'll see how it works. Sam's like living in domestic bliss in in uh, Vermont's a good bed and breakfast place, right? Oh sure, yeah, 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 living in domestic bliss in Vermont. <laughs> Chris is there. Chris, you want to start it with me? Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm, got, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. No. Chris does not see this coming at all. Yes. Chris, are you in love with me yet? <laughs> I won't get burned now it's again. Now time to lose him. <laughs> now it's time to lose him. In 10 days. I and actually then, feel like it would be a real challenge if, like, you can't lose him in less than 10 days or more than 10 days. It has to be exactly 10 days. But I feel like 10 days is not, like, any amount of time in a relationship, right? Like, it's a little over yeah. a week. You might go on two dates. Yeah, I know, but Chris won't, like, really love me after two days. No, but you have to lose Chris after six years with him in ten days. That's true. That would be harder, because after six years, like, Chris is going to be invested in your relationship. He's going to be like, I felt, I've gone through rocky periods before, and I've come out yeah. the other side. I'm not going to leave Sam in ten days. I know, but Chris, what if I told you that, like, I just, Chris, if I told you I don't want to see you anymore and we're done, like, would you still be hanging around for any more days? I feel like that would be the end. Um, how much did we sink into the bed and breakfast? Good question. That's, that is a good question. I don't know. A substantial sum, but granted, I'm, I'm willing to offer you a 50-50 split to end this relationship today. You get half of the money. I say, I think we break even at the end of all of this, which I, means we didn't do so such a great wait. job with the bed and breakfast. All the work we went into the, for the bed and breakfast and we just break even. Well, you know, maybe we're not the fucking best at running a bed and breakfast, okay? Is I mean, it what? seems like clearly you're not the best at running a bed and breakfast. We're not the worst. We didn't come out under. That's that's true. You're not the worst bed and breakfast. But, like, you and Chris have been together for a substantial amount of time in this hypothetical. I feel like you you don't just you don't just go, like, it's over and I'll never see you again after a six-year relationship. There's there's going to be I a— I fucking guess I can do that, though. I can do that. I'm trying to lose them. <laughs> I only got three days. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> okay. Guys, I think this is the one where we win the potty. <laughs> this is this is definitely a happy hour podcast, but I'm I'm glad we had time to play out the hypothetical of Sam having to lose Chris in ten days. 
<laughs> I think I just fucking did it in ten seconds. This is this is the one where uh, this is definitely an instance where this will go in the podcast summary that you all read before you listen to this. <laughs> Something about Sam losing Chris in ten days will be in there um, because it's it's too enjoyable to not. Okay, anything else we need to talk about on Clear History before we move on to Breaking Bad? I would recommend it to people who are fans of Curb, and if you're a fan of Curb, you'll probably you'll probably have a good time watching this because I did too, but I'll probably forget about it in uh, 45 minutes, which is like much longer than it would take you to lose Chris in your mind. Oh, totally, yeah. Chris, you are yeah. partway through Clear History. Do you plan to finish it based on our conversation? I'm gonna say yes, but I know I'm not gonna. <laughs> so you're just gonna lie to my face. No, I say I'm going to plan to, but it's going to be one of those things that keeps getting moved further and further down my queue. I just know how it works. Okay, fair enough. Um, I liked it. I, I was going to watch it with my parents. They both ended up not being around um, when I was watching for the podcast. So I did not delete it so that there's a chance they will watch it before I leave. Um, if they watch it, maybe I'd watch it again with them. Um, maybe I wouldn't. I don't really care if I ever see this again. Uh, that being said, it was fine. I laughed. And I think we can end on that note. Did you cry? I did not. I did not cry. Not a single tear was shed for John Hamm's fake illness. That he survives. We don't know for how much longer, though. Well, it was in remission, so he he was alive at the end of the movie. But it, I, before we move on, I let, let's be very clear about this. They did not say it was cancer, right? It was like some weird illness that he had. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Okay, well, doesn't matter. Let's move on to Breaking Bad. Um, the second half of the show's final season premiered last night. This is what, I guess, 5B by the second half, whatever you want to call it, the mid-season premiere. Uh, 5.2. 5.2, sure. We all watched it. If you have not watched it yet, like I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about it without spoiling anything that happens in this episode for a while. But if you've not seen up to Breaking Bad Season 5A, and I would probably go ahead and turn the podcast off now. We'll see you next week because I imagine that throughout the conversation, things that happen over the sh- first four and a half seasons of the show will probably come up. That being said, if you haven't watched this week's yet, stick with us for a while. We'll let you know when we're getting into spoiler territory. Uh, Chris, why don't we start with you and your thoughts on last night's Breaking Bad? Uh, great return for the show. Um, I was especially impressed by the opening sequence and the final 10 minutes. Uh, I think it really felt like I because we, we talked a lot about how it, it there was the distinctions between calling something uh, a half season versus their own distinct seasons, especially when you air them an entire year apart. I, I think we talked about that the last time we were talking about Breaking Bad. Um, and when we were talking about the first eight episodes, that to me felt like a complete season. Whereas this episode to me, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it or felt this was a um, a lesser episode Breaking Bad in any way, but it felt very much to me like a mid-season episode than it did, say, a season premiere. So while I wasn't feeling the effects of the split season last summer, I think I was definitely feeling them last night, where I was like, okay, you know, this is a middle season. Um, it's not the most explosive episode. It's not... Um, what? A com- what is going on here? <laughs> I think I think Sam wants to jump in, Chris. Okay, you can I jump. Know, if I, you want, want I want I want Chris to finish his thought because I'm going to disagree with Chris, but 
I'm going to let you finish because <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. Ammo. You're going to finish. <laughs> All right. No, I, I thought I thought it was a very, very good episode, but it to me didn't feel like a, a season premiere. I'm, I'm not saying that it was um, dull or bad or anything. It just it, it just felt like um, very much just a continuation of the last episode of the last episode that we had seen. And so it, it, it just seemed I don't know. It, it was it was just kind of a. I, I guess it was just an off putting sensation, I guess, is what I'm trying to articulate in that it didn't so much feel like its own distinct chapter like this is season it definitely felt like this is a continuation of season five which is is what it is supposed to be so um i'm finally feeling the effects of this being the broken up season whereas before my question was always why not just call it season six yes it's a couple episodes shorter but why not just call it season six now i'm kind of getting it so i think what you're trying to say is you have always and will continue to hate breaking bad right Absolutely. Worst show ever. Okay, that's what I thought. Just wanted to be yeah. clear on that. Um, Sam, it seemed like you had some disagreements with what Chris was saying, so why don't you jump in with those now, and then maybe your general thoughts on the episode, and we'll come to me later. All right. Well, I, I completely disagree with Chris about the show feeling like kind of a middle-season episode. I think um, Gliding overall really did feel like a season finale, and in the same respect, while this is technically a mid-season premiere... This felt very much like a season premiere because it ended with a very explosive development. I think it's like what a maybe the biggest turning point in the whole fucking series so far. In fact, um, I, I won't talk about exactly what happens at the end of the episode. Yeah, not yet. We'll get but there. But it is so spoilery. I would definitely be, I would definitely make a lot of people angry for spoiling it because it is revelatory. And I think that they chose to do it in this episode is incredibly significant, and I think it makes this episode all the more important going forward. Um, what they decided to do in this episode, they could have done way down the line, and they chose to do it now. And I think by doing it now, it made it a much more effective season premiere. Because where, where are your big explosive episodes? They're probably at the beginning of the season, the end of the season, and maybe in the middle. And to me, I feel like this gave such a tease for the rest of the season. I don't know if Chris, I don't know, but I feel like most people who watch this finish watching this episode and they're like, holy shit, I'm ready to watch the rest of this season. And I feel like when you're talking about season premieres, that is, you know, ideally what a really good season premiere will do. It's getting you stoked for the rest of the season. And I feel like this, sh uh, this episode, uh, at least for me really, really did that. Um, yeah, this did not just feel like this did not feel like an episode four of a season. This feel, felt like this this episode felt like it could have been a se this a season finale. Also, it was it was kind of a bombshell, I think, for me. And I'm fucking thrilled to see what happened ne happens next week. Um, I believe I think Brian Cranston directed this episode, and I thought it was really kind of a beautiful episode. And you know, I guess I'm not going to spoil anything, but. We'll get there. A, we'll have plenty of time for spoilers in a few yeah, minutes. It, it had a fantastic, without spoiling anything, it, it had a fantastic cold open that I think was beautifully shot. And, you know, as usual, the cinematography on the show is beautiful. And um, I think uh, Brian Cranston as director put us in kind of a headspace to kind of be really ramped up for the rest of the season. And also not spoiling anything, really. 
kind of putting us in closed quarters to end the episode, I think emotionally has us in a space where we're like, we got to break out of here. This is, I felt like I was put in a corner by Brian Cranston and the show and all of the actors. It was a great job. It was really, it was an A, I think it was an A episode on an A show, which is about as high praise I can give it. Jordan, yeah. what do you think? Well, I, uh, for those of you who do not know or do not regularly read the website, I am reviewing the season over at reviewbename.com. So if you like what I'm saying or want to hear more about what I thought of the episode, you can go read the review there. And I did give the episode an A. Um, though I also made clear that, like, these are the last eight episodes, and so long as they deserve them, I'm not going to be stingy with the A's because I think this is going to be the, the final run of one of the all-time great television shows. And I feel like, regardless of that, if I just saw this episode out of context, this is an A episode of TV to my mind. Um, I'm going to keep everything vague for the moment until we get into more detail. But I think like from the cold open through the conclusion, you got a lot of things hinting at the end of things. You got, you got an idea of the fact that these writers and uh, directors, everyone working on the show knows they're closer to the end of the beginning, but they're not going to stall. Uh, you know, it, I could easily see a situation where they spent the first four episodes of this half season sort of puttering around before launching into the end. And that would be weird for Breaking Bad. It wouldn't be weird for a lot of other television. Um, but they are not going to do that. And yet they also gave us enough time throughout this first episode to sort of figure out where all the characters stand at the moment, to breathe a little bit. Um, so I feel like the way they situated the episode with something sort of big and explosive at the beginning, something sort of big and explosive at the end, and a little breathing room in the middle um, to sort of set up some things that might be playing out over the rest of the season and to just get us inside the headspaces of various characters and to see where they are right now. Um, I thought it was very effective television. So I was incredibly happy. Uh, Chris, I imagine you have more to say because it seems like there might be a split between you and Sam. Maybe there's a smaller one than you thought. Maybe there's a bigger one. So I want to jump back to you and see what you want to say about that. Sure. I, 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 I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy the episode by any means at all. I, I, I would say that I'm probably maybe not quite up to you guys' level. I would say maybe I was an A-. minus. But um, That's I, blasphemy. I just... <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I, I probably should have made it more clear when I said that I didn't think this was an explosive episode. I should have said, except for the last 10 minutes. I think that there was... Uh, I, I, I'm not going to dispute by any means the fact that the last 10 minutes were an absolute game changer. Um, I guess my comments were a little bit more in reference to the rest of the episode, specifically the midsection, which I thought was very good at getting into people's headspace and letting things breathe. But um, for me, maybe just maybe just a little bit slow. I, I think this is actually an episode that I'm going to return to later down the line with much uh, better, uh, like bring that minus up to a full A itself. But just at the minute, like I kind of get into a headspace a little bit when I'm watching what I know will be a show's last run where I see that there's so that there's a lot to do in the end game. Uh, whenever I see an episode like this where time that is drawn out as the middle of this episode was i tend to get a little antsy just because i'm worried like oh man we only have eight episodes left how are we going to get through everything we need to and i know that they, we are in very good hands with these writers these directors and these actors i know that we are in the best of hands right now but i nonetheless i can't help but just get a little antsy when you have um allowed things to have that much space have that much breathing room but you know what i, I think it's going to be a case of this episode's a couple 
episodes down the line, I any of my slight, very slight misgivings will be erased. Sure, I, I can sort of see that. But um, I also think like Breaking Bad is one of the best shows on television at pacing. And I know you agreed with me last year, and I think we talked about it on the podcast, and I know we talked about it in various year-end lists, that gliding overall is like one of the, I think one of the best examples of perfect pacing I've ever seen on television, and that it manages to get this big, huge, expansive idea across in 45 minutes, um, and it doesn't feel like it rushes it. Uh, and I think that's, you know, we also have episodes like One Minute uh, from Season 3, the uh hank versus the cousins episode like i think if you look at the history of the show it is it is masterfully paced um and i can sort of see how you might have concerns from this particular episode and the fact that it's one of the last eight but i also think that i agree with your assessment that like we're in great hands here these people know what they're doing and i've seen them do things that i didn't think was possible before with pacing uh quite well so i didn't have the problems you did but i think you'll probably agree with me that even if you did have the problems we're in good hands and you're probably going to be okay. Sure. And I want to say problems in quotes. To be right. Yeah. No, clear. like, I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that you don't like this episode. <laughs> like it's and not, it, despite the fact that it would be funnier if you really hated the episode and more, maybe a more interesting conversation for us to discuss the particulars. If you were like very much opposed to the episode, um, I think we all know you love breaking bad and you liked what you saw last night. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, just saying that I'm a little bit more lean towards an A minus at the moment. Sure. But, which is yeah, you're yeah. giving it like a ninety-three to our like ninety-six. I just um, I'm just trying to put a little conflict in the segment, all right? Okay, God, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> We're fighting. <laughs> Guys, listeners, I'm I'm sorry that this is getting so ugly and so not gonna rock out about breaking bad. I, I Am I gonna lose Chris this. before our ten days are up? This is <laughs> how you lost me. If you don't if you don't keep Chris for ten days, Sam, you don't get the I don't even know, the challenge accepted medal. Yeah. What are a we even doing him? Yeah, it's a chalice. A challenge accepted chalice. I like that. Uh, if you don't keep him around Chris, for nine more days. Special. Actually, six years and nine days, to be clear about the challenge. Um, do we have other non-spoiler things to talk about before we want to get into the spoiler segment? I feel like if we talk about anything from this episode from top to bottom, it'll be considered spoilery. So yeah. I feel like we might as well. Yeah. I feel like this is this was going to be a, a shorter non-spoiler segment. So for those of you who have not seen the episode yet, I apologize. I promise we're going to say some cool, smart things, hopefully, about the episode. So go watch it, then come back and listen. Um, otherwise, if you're not caught up in the show, you probably aren't listening to this part already because we spoiled some things from the show previously already. Um, but if you haven't watched the show yet, go watch all of Breaking Bad. And it'll be probably, you know, a week to a month. And it'll be kind of weird if you come back and listen to this podcast. But still do it because it's a good podcast probably. Um, with that being said, we're going to go into spoiler territory, so either skip ahead if you want to hear the last like minute and a half, two minutes of the show, or come back next week, and we'll talk to you then. With that, I will take the gloves off and go ahead and start spoiling things. Wow, no one has anything to say. Cool. Show over. Well, we got to figure yep. out who wants to go first. Um, Who's going first, Jordan? Moderate us. All right, I'll moderate you. I figured one of you would want to jump in right away. Um, uh, Sam, go ahead. Sure. Um, so first, I thought they did a really great job with the cold open where we see kids skateboarding. And at first, it's like, oh, they're at a skate park. But then it's revealed that it is actually the White's house. And it has been abandoned and graffitied with Heisenberg. And we see future Walt come back. And he goes in and he gets the ricin from behind the outlet. Adding more intrigue to how... Uh, 
know, how it's going to play out. And we only have seven episodes left, and we're going to have to get to the future at some point. Um, so yeah, that ju- that just in itself that we see Walt is kind of like this broken man in the future, where you know the house that he was like fighting for and the family he's fighting for is gone. Um, very very intriguing, I think. And uh, I thought it made for a great cold open, and there was a great kind of stinger on there where he says hi to his neighbor, and she kind of drops her shit. She's like, "Oh my god, it's Heisenberg!" I just thought that worked really well. Um, I just wanted to get that out of the way before we get to, like, the real juicy stuff. Yeah, let's uh, talk about the cold open for a minute. Um, because, A, I thought, like, j- I think it was just as effective as last year's Flash Forward, which would be a tough thing to do considering, like, we already had the basic situation. Um, though al- also, I think, kind of an easy thing to do because we care so much about what's going to happen on the show that any hint about where the future is going to find Walt is enough for us. But I also think it was it was a, a smart thing to do to put the ricin back on the table in the very first episode of the season because if there's one thing that I think every fan knows is going to come back in some way, it's that vial of ricin that's sort of been bouncing around for seasons now. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think in terms of mood setting, it was a great cold open, but also like in terms of the show being smart enough to know we know something's coming, I liked that. I, I enjoyed that they were very clear about the fact that... Uh, this ricin will have a something to do with the end game. Chris, yes, what were your uh, thoughts on the cold open? Yeah, I, I thought this was one of the show's better cold opens. Um, I perfectly playing off just how far this is going to fall, along with just a great little moment of comedy at the end. Um, I, it's it, it's interesting because of the the various ways that the house seems to have been left it it leaves like a lot of questions as to what actually happens um you have the large section of the kitchen floor being cut out you have the graffiti everywhere um it it just i i think it really both intrigues and gives a lot of hints and um i I mean i can't wait to figure out where we're going with this how we get to walt at this moment where he's going to need both a tiny little vial of ricin and a huge submachine gun that he has in the back of the car it's it's there's a lot of questions and it's very exciting and i mean like sam says at some point we will probably we will have to get to this future presumably so yeah it'll be interesting to see how many episodes from now we all of a sudden have walt with a bunch of hair and a machine gun in his trunk riding around um so oh go ahead sam you had something to say no, I was just agreeing with you. Oh. I'm looking forward to how they're gonna they're gonna kind of connect us to where we're at now, with um, Hank kind of finding out who Walt really is and how we get from point A to point B. Which I guess, you know, is it's always been that of the show, but we haven't had the flash forwards like this before. So, I'm intrigued. Kind yeah. of a, kind of a change of the structure of the show a little bit that I don't really mind because I really you know I trust these guys. Yeah, well, I think this is sort of like. Uh... It's sort of like what we all thought we were seeing in the season two flash forwards with the uh, teddy bear in the pool uh, in terms of like it gives you a hint at what's to come. But I think this is being much more direct and blunt about what we're what we're getting for, which is good, I think. I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was ultimately it was very ambiguous. And unless you like put the clues together, I don't think you'd really know until a little later on in that um, season. Those clues being one of my favorite things about the show, I will say for those people who don't know uh, one of my favorite things about the show, a little Breaking Bad trivia, 
if you put t- together the episode titles that the flash forwards occur in, in season two, they spell out 747 down over ABQ, which I think like not that hard a thing for the writers to have pulled off, but really cool in hindsight. And I like that. Yeah. Um, so there you go. We like those. You know we like those Breaking Bad writers and whoever came up with that fun little Easter egg. Yeah, that was that was enjoyable for me. And when I when I first figured that out, uh, it was like my mind's been blown. Whoa. Um, so I was happy. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about Walt at the car wash? Um, to me, this felt a little bit like Walt sort of having become Gus Fring in the in the monster hiding in plain sight sort of way. Um, and we also had a visit from Lydia, who I imagine will have more to do with the season. So what did you guys think about those two things? Chris, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, yeah, no, I there were definitely a lot of overtones of Gus, uh, Walt as Gus in those scenes. Uh, also, just that, you know, Walt is always going to be Walt. And one of the first things that we see him doing is proposing the idea to of expansion. So, like, his ambition is never satisfied. It's always there. It's always just gnawing at him. Even in his new reformed life of, okay, he's going to go back to being an ordinary guy. That it hasn't even been a month yet, and it's already just not, this life is not enough for him. He just continues to want more uh lydia i'm happy to see back just because she was a very interesting character that was introduced at the beginning of last season and um always just a loose end loose cannon left in the works so i think we all always suspected that she was going to be part of the ultimate unraveling of this um the future we have seen glimpses at of just because she was always so unstable in every episode that she showed up in um and I really like the scene between her and Skylar um, and uh, with Skylar basically just warning her off completely, just sort of very calmly uh, threatening her off, warning her away from her family. Um, and it's always kind of funny to see Lydia be like pretend to be such a hard case and then just fold immediately. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that I think it's a great I, I really like Lydia. I think she's a great character and I pretty much I enjoy pretty much every scene she shows up in. Sam. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really I, I like the car wash because it did. Like you said, it reminded me a lot of Gus. Um, and I like seeing Walt kind of trying to transfer his kind of uh, control mentality into kind of a normal aspect of life. And I think I think he kind of is trying. And if it was up to him at that point, he just wouldn't hear or see from anyone. But the but the problem is, is he went in so deep to all of this. It's that there's no escaping it at this point. And I think that's kind of you know what we what we lead to with Hank is that you know there is no escape from his past. And I think I think it kind of echoes something that. I think it was what Walt said to Jesse about the past being the past and just kind of like let it let it lie there. And I think Jesse is like consumed by it. And Walt is just Walt's taking that advice of just like past is past. Let it go. And I think Jesse realizes that you can't escape it so easily. And that's why he's so distraught for obvious reasons. And when and when Lydia comes back, I think it's kind of a reminder to Walt that, you know, this is not something that you're going to be so easy, you know, you could so easily escape. I think that's something that we've as viewers have known for so long, you know, seeing all the horrible things Walt has done, but I think he's realized it at this point, And I feel that, um, I feel like with Hank, you know, Hank discovering the secret, it's going to just push this to the boiling point where 
you know, you're obviously going to get a resolution here one way or the other. I don't know. I don't know what that means for the show yet. Obviously. Um, I think only Vince Gilligan and the cast and crew of the show know, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I thought, I think Lydia is going to be a problem and I wouldn't be surprised if she is a integral part in Walt's eventual downfall. Yeah, I I sort of feel like I wish Lydia got a little bit more shading than she's had so far because we know she can't just be this basket case considering, A, she worked with Gus Fring, who wouldn't work with someone like that, uh, and B, she's she's been able to make Walt international and she's been able to sort of run things for at least a month, um, though things are obviously going to shit. Uh, So I'd like to see Lydia get a little bit more of a personality that's not just like this person who's going to destroy everything because I feel like it's so broadly telegraphed at this point that... Maybe it won't happen, or maybe it's going to happen, and it's just going to be something that the show wasn't too deft with. Um, what I want to ask as the next question, and this is pure speculation more than you know analysis of the show, but I want to know what you guys think. I feel like we could be in a situation where there are seven episodes left. Walt could really stay out of the meth game. Like What he's done already has been enough to sow his downfall. So do you think Walt will be back with Lydia, will, will be back cooking meth, or do you think... That he's gonna try his best to put it behind him and still be taken down by all the things he's already done. Um, obviously, I'm just asking you to blindly guess, but Chris, what oh, do you think? Well, or Sam, go ahead. Sorry, Chris. Uh, Chris you, I, you know, I I think that this season is gonna be more about Walt cleaning up the remaining loose ends and trying to trying to uh, having already made his bed and desperately trying to get out of the situation he's already created for himself. I don't know that we. Um, I mean, I suppose it's possible for him to return to try and get the operation back on track with Lydia. I just don't, um, maybe it's more like, I don't think it's necessary. I just think that there are, uh, there is already so much, um, that's been wrought and so much to get through in terms of like, at some point we know that it becomes common knowledge that Walt is Heisenberg. Um, it just doesn't make I, I think that that would it would just take too much time for him to get back into the meth game, start cooking meth again, and then for all these other things we know happen to happen. I think that I think that what he's done already are the things that we'll be dealing with this for the rest of the season. Sam, yeah, I completely agree. I don't think you know. Again, there are only seven episodes left, and I think the show would wisely probably be better spent with Walt dealing with Hank. And I feel like that's more in, in Walt's MO is to kind of like figure out this problem and like take care of Hank. I don't think the show's going to, I don't think we're going to really have any more, um, kind of meth cooking episodes anymore just because I think Walt really is, I guess in some, I mean, I think Walt's set in terms of money, even if he thinks he can make a billion dollars, I think it would be a waste of his time to be cooking meth again when he has to deal with Hank. I think, I think they're really going to spend the rest of the season with the, uh, they've got to deal with the Hank Walt dynamic and then that will resolve. And then we have to get to, I guess it's a year from now. So all that stuff has to happen. I'm not sure if there's really time for Walt to go back to cooking. And I'm not really sure what is like, what the impetus is for him to go cook again. Yeah. I I don't really see it. I would agree. Um, I was, uh, one of the things I was talking about in my review last night, um, is I think, like, the meth has always been sort of ancillary. Like, that's never really been the point of what Walter's about anyway. 
it's been the means to an end, and I feel like the end has always been sort of his quote-unquote empire building, his his triumphing over whatever the next obstacle is. So I feel like what we expect from Walt and what I think we'll probably see from Walt, though again I'm blindly guessing as well, is Walt trying to take down the next big challenge, which is Hank, um, and I don't think we need any more meth from that. I think the show is, it sounds weird to say, but sort of grown beyond that at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, which is fine by me. So... I'm about ready to move into the the final 10 minutes of the show. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we get there? Silence. All right. Um, oh, Chris, you might have something? Was, I'm, I'm trying to think through. Another great about. Walt and Jesse scene with them. Those oh. those scenes between the two of them, usually happening at Jesse's house, they just, like, they really suck you in. Um, it's like everything else goes dark when Walt, like, when you see Walt trying to talk down Jesse and this has kind of been it's like a great tradition of of uh, not Batman of Breaking Bad at this point um, and Aaron Paul and they're, they're so good together they're like this. they really are like this perfect match and I feel like it's just a reminder of how lucky the show is that you know apparently you know the writer's strike had a big part in Aaron Paul not being killed off and that they got Aaron Paul and they got uh, Brian Cranston for these roles it's just like another reminder of how great they are and they do such a perfect job together and just seeing like Jesse just like relent, you know, it's just like going like, fine, he's fine. You know, Mike's still alive, whatever. Even though it's like so obvious, it's so obvious. That's not the case. I thought that was a fantastic scene. Yeah. It's, it's great because of like a, how brazenly Walt is lying to Jesse, like without any compunction at all. And yeah. B, how Jesse like doesn't even believe him, not even like remotely, but just relents and just like, gives up and says, okay, like, let's, I'm going to do what you want me to do, because that's what I've always done, and you've always convinced me with this, like, long chain of, of terrible manipulation, so, like, whatever, I'm not even going to waste my time with it anymore. Uh, a small scene I would like to touch upon, which I, I think is just something the show does very well, is putting you, like, making you feel exactly what a character is feeling in a given situation, but was also a highly entertaining scene, if I'll be a one that was kind of fluffy was the, um, the description of, uh, uh, Badger's Star Trek, uh, <laughs> script idea. Yes. Um, that's, really the, that's getting a lot the, of play today. Yeah. The inanity of that scene was just absolutely brilliant. Like I, like I, I completely was, was Jesse for that scene. I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> who are these morons? I thought that was great. Scene. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. More yeah. geniuses, Chris. <laughs> I don't know because like Chekhov is killed at the end of his script idea, right? Yeah. It would be a, a series finale. Yeah, that's that's how you could end Star Trek. It would be a series finale that ended with an episode long pie eating contest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like every series finale to every show Sam has written in his head. All the good ones, anyway. High inning contests are, uh, are a great climax. I'll grant you that. Um, yes. Well, maybe that's how they'll end Breaking Bad. It'll be what like, great he'll, foreshadowing. Be pie. he'll be eating like pie, Walt, and then someone will shoot him and like his guts will fly out. And then they'll be like, see, that was the yeah. original. Yeah, Badger will come up and shoot Walt in the gut and his guts will fly out. And he'll be like, I wrote this. And then he'll walk off. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, goes, that'll be how Breaking Bad ends. Badger just goes, I dreamed it would end this way. And then he leaves. 
Um, and then, and then Hank will go, and that's what happens when you Breaking Bad. See, this is why we're not yeah. the writers on the show, I think. <laughs> because we would end it with with Hank saying a grammatically incorrect sentence that is the show's title. Yes, yes. that's the only reason. <laughs> it's like Vince Gilligan called us up and was like, "Hey, we're your name podcast guys." You want to come write Breaking Bad? And we were like, yes. And then we handed him that piece, a piece of paper that said, and that's what happened when you Breaking Bad. And he was like, never mind. <laughs> we were so close to a deal. <laughs> you guys could have seen that pie eating contest as the conclusion to the show. But unfortunately, now you will not. Unless you do, maybe Vince Gilligan stole it from us. Right now, Vince Gilligan is furiously rewriting things. Yeah, was a, a fervent fan of the podcast. Listen to this. It's like, shit, they figured out the pie contest thing. Like, guys, back to the drawing board. <laughs> okay, uh, why don't we move in to talking about those final 10 minutes? Um, I don't know. I don't remember whose turn it is to go first, but it's a big deal. It's something I think, Sam, you're totally right when you said earlier that, like, this is a scene that I think the entire show, to a certain extent, like, from the pilot has been building to. It finally happens at the end of this episode. Um, so, coin toss, uh, flip in the air, I don't know. Uh, Chris, go first. Uh, I did not expect this to happen at the end of this episode. Like, when you saw Hank kind of, like, hiding all the materials and everything, I really thought we were just going to get your... I, I think the show did a great job at selling, like, this is just going to be another, like, Hank and Walt dance around each other, albeit this time both of them know a little bit more than they're letting on, but they know each other. No, I did not expect them to directly bring it, out the information in the open for Hank to uh, basically just deck Walt and tell him straight out he knows everything. He, and more than that, uh, taken the task for all the ways that he has personally involved Hank in um the uh the misdeeds he's done over the years it's it, it was a powerful scene it was um shocking uh in and i i think sam said it perfectly earlier when he said like you felt backed into a corner the entire time it was it, it was tense i think it's one of the tensest moments the show has ever had and and for the fact that it built like it was, it was building to the Hank Walt conversation that we've always seen coming. I feel like it did not disappoint in ways that are almost impossible. Like, yeah, something that's been that's been coming for so long. It's amazing how well they pulled that off. Absolutely. Uh, Sam, what did you think? I think, I think it was like it was it was filmed in such a way where where um you you could see Walter kind of shift between you know his Walter White and then his Heisenberg. And he's kind of like going back and forth, trying to figure out how to play Hank. And that it was that Hank closed the garage door. You're like, Oh shit, it's happening. It's actually going to happen. It was so exciting. I've, and I think, you know, breaking bad is maybe the, you know, the show that's best at these exciting moments, maybe ever, uh, you know, if it's not the best show ever, it, 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 it certainly is may, maybe, the most thrilling show ever. And I feel like this is just one of those, those uh, moments where like my heart was actually pounding. You hear, you hear that all the time and like kind of shitty pull quotes for, for movies and stuff, but it, it, it actually happened with this. And I, and I had like a big stupid grin on my face the whole time. Um, just that it was like done in this space. It was very cramped. And then you have, 
And then you have Hank kind of just explode on Walt like this. It's been, you know, five seasons of hunting for Heisenberg and five seasons of Walt trying to, you know, sneak around, fixing his problems and picking up after himself, killing people to hide things. It's, it's, you really, from, from Dean Norris's performance, you get all of that in this, this short moment. You really feel like that explosion of anger is justified. And it's, it's so well earned, I think. It made me so happy. And what also made me happy is we didn't have, like, we could have very easily had three episodes of Hank doing kind of police work, trying to piece it together and make sure, like, you know, when he does go forward and accuse Walt of this, that he has all of the evidence there and it's all, you know, it's all neat and clean and he's got kind of a slam dunk case. But that Walt's kind of arrogance, I guess, kind of, you know, he shows him the tracker on the car and Walt's kind of giving him his, you know, fuck you, I know what you're doing. Hank has no choice. And now and now it's the standoff. Now we have the rest of this season to go, how the fuck is this going to play out? You know, we see the future of Walt. And while we see, we have the flash forward, we still don't know how the Walt story is going to end. And we don't know what happens to Hank. Maybe Walt offs Hank and has to skedaddle. Who knows? I'm yeah. really excited to find out. I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't really have a guess. I mean, I guess I could get like, oh, okay, well, maybe Walt kills him. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just avoids him. I have no idea. And that's that's truly exciting, especially for a show as well-written, as well-performed as this one. Yeah, I agree that I literally, like, I have no idea how this will end, and I, and I find that very exciting. I also love, one of the things I loved about the scene is how it managed to let Hank lay out, like, everything Walt has done without feeling like a laundry list slash, like, reminder of all the terrible things Walt's done. Like, it 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 reinforced Hank's competence as a cop that, like, all he needed was this last piece of the puzzle to figure out and, like, see everything that he's been working on for the last year, however long. I think it's closer to a year and a half since uh, the show began at this point because Gliding Overall took place over a long time. But... It's been, you know, a long, a long portion of, of Hank's last several years of his career has been looking at this Heisenberg thing, and he's finally got it all figured out. Um, and it also reminds us very quickly, like, these are all the terrible things you've watched Walt do over the last few seasons, and I thought that was very well handled. Absolutely, I agree. And I, and I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know where it's going to go. It could go any number of directions, um, and it's very, I'm very excited to find out which one it takes. I kind of, I kind of hope I'll say uh, that we see Jesse a little bit, a little bit out of the Jesse funk that he sort of goes into and out of throughout the course of the show. I understand why it might make dramatic sense for Jesse to be in a post-traumatic, like, depressed state for the rest of his life. Um, but I, I'd kind of like Aaron Paul to get a little bit of the range that we know he's capable of in the last season. Um, what do you guys? Do you agree? Disagree? I definitely agree with that because this is a. Um... The, this not not that this doesn't make dramatic sense for the show and the character, but we've seen this uh, plotline from Jesse before. We've seen Jesse just completely torn apart, falling back into drugs, um, not really knowing uh, how, not, not having any kind of control over his life whatsoever. Um, so I, I hope that we don't see the side of Jesse for long because I think all fans of the show, as much as we are excited of to see the Hank um, Walt confrontation, I think we also want to see where Jesse falls in the end game because you know he has to have a critical role in this. So I'm anxious to see that what that's going to be. Sam, 
Yeah, um, I kind of don't want to see a, a too long Jesse Funk, even though it's totally justified given the story and the character. Um, this is how Jesse should be reacting, because he's Jesse. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope <laughs> I, I hope we can get something else from Aaron Paul this season other than this, and he snaps out of it. Though, he's good at this. This is his thing. This is what he wins Emmys for. Yeah. Um, I just I don't like seeing Jesse so sad all the time. I agree. Um, and, I'll, you know, I'll, and I would like Jesse to have a happy ending, even though I think that makes it much more likely that Jesse will not have anything resembling a happy ending because this is a tragedy. Like, but I'd like to see Jesse buck up a little bit, at least, before something terrible and awful happens to him in a final way. Uh-huh. Um, do you he- hope that Jesse, do you hope that Walt dies at the hands of the hand of Jesse? That's kind of a popular ending possibility. I, I don't think that will happen at all. Um, I have no idea what will happen, as I've said several times. If I had to lay money on it, I would not lay money on Jesse killing Walt. Um, I think that would be a great character beat for Jesse and sort of like getting him out under from under Walt's thumb and getting him to assert dominance and control something in his life. And that would all be good. I don't see that being the show's ending. I just and I think the flash forwards are wrong on or make make me more likely to be wrong on this. But I just don't see the show ending with Walt dying because I feel like there are fates much worse than death and Breaking Bad is probably going to try to find one for Walt. Um, I, well, I think like, I think maybe but maybe Breaking Bad has already found the fate worse than death and we're seeing we're seeing the the post that in the flash forwards. Who knows what happened what's happened to you know Walt's family. And, it, and clearly, Walt is a man who does not have a future in these future episodes. I mean, when you're stocking up on ricin and a super giant machine gun, it's like, and he's driving in his shitty car and he has like ratty clothes and a ratty, you know, everything. He's clearly he's clearly hit rock bottom. That's true. And maybe we're just seeing like what happens after he hits rock bottom, and then who knows? He's, he he doesn't look like he's long for this world in the flash forwards, at least. No, and that's why I say yeah. like my my pet my pet favorite ending, if I had to pick right now, uh, which I think this episode actually gave me a little hint of. Like, I think I think someone else has said the the Hank Hill ending, the or Henry Hill rather. Um, Hank Hill. Not Hank Hill, yeah. <laughs> I knew I was gonna do that too. But I feel like the Goodfellas ending is the sort uh, is something that would make sense where you get Walter in sort of this powerless unknown position where he's lost everything and he has to live his life without anyone knowing all the quote unquote great slash terrible things he's done. Um, and I thought like we saw a hint of that with Walt working at the car wash. And to me, that's Walt's nightmare. And that's kind of what I want to see happen to Walt is, is to be forced to live this quote unquote ordinary, decent life. Like he says to Jesse um, and to have no one ever know that he had done anything more or that he'd been anything more than just the schmuck. Um, I think that's an interesting ending because I think that's Walt's nightmare, but the flash forwards do not lead me to believe that's necessarily what's going to happen. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he goes and shoots up a whole bunch of people and quietly disappears and then ends up uh, teaching physics at community college. <laughs> wouldn't he can wouldn't, teach at Greendale? Yeah, I would watch Crossover. that. I would watch that episode. Me too. Um, any last thoughts on this premiere of Breaking Bad before we shut things down? Can't wait for more. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. With that, as I've said uh, earlier in the show, I will be writing about every every episode of Breaking Bad over at ReviewToBeName.com. You can check out that and all the other things that we write about at ReviewToBeName.com over at the website. You can follow us on Twitter at ReviewToBeName. 
You can email us at rerenamed at gmail.com. Um, you can contact us in virtually any way you can think of. I mean, carrier pigeon's okay. I haven't given you a mailing address, but just send it out there. It'll find us probably, or it won't. Um, then we won't get your note, but there are ways you can contact us. You can read our stuff. Um, you can talk to us about things you would like to see us cover, things you'd like to talk about, hear us talk about on the podcast, things you hate about us. We really don't care. Just um, feel free to reach out. Uh, with that, it's time to announce the winner of the Rachel Tardif Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. Um, oh as always, uh, what was that? I said, oh boy, I'm excited, yeah. Jordan. As always, this has been a painstaking <laughs> process, a lot of tabulations, a lot of twists and turns. Um, and I, can I get a drum roll? from people no no and i get a drum roll okay and the winner of the rachel Tyler memorial award for best performance in the week is vince gilligan who is continuing to spin out sing tale on breaking bad and uh who i think we we didn't necessarily give enough credit to for how awesome he is during our breaking bad segment a few minutes ago so i'm gonna go ahead and give you the performance in the week vince gilligan uh come on down collect your trophy and small cash prize and a firm handshake from us, but don't come until after Breaking Bad ends, probably because like we're otherwise going to just shake you down for what's going to happen next. Um, so maybe wait a couple weeks, then come out. Sam, this is this is a travesty. It totally should have gone to you for your plan to lose me in ten days. I think it's. I think, so. I think you're going to do it. I think you're going to pull it off. So there I. Were, there were some I don't votes. Think Sam, about. Uh, I don't even think did Vince Gilligan even write the season. No, but he wrote Breaking Bad. He is the showrunner behind all of it. <laughs> he wrote Breaking Bad. All of it. Yeah, you didn't know that? He wrote everything. No. Um, that's what happens when you're Breaking Bad. That's Except what happens that, when Breaking Bad. That golden, that golden line that you'll never get to hear on the show. Because someone wasn't willing to pay us millions of dollars to write it. Yep. Wasn't uh, there a line? Wasn't there, like, a, are you ready to break bad? Wasn't that, like, in the pilot or something? He, yeah, yeah, he's been asked. Jesse uh, says Walt is Breaking Bad, something like that. Like, are right. you ready to break bad? Something to that effect. Um, if not in the pilot, then very early on in the series. I assume yeah. the pilot. Um, but it's not as funny as that's what happens when you Breaking Bad. <laughs> With that, I think we're re- we're done here. I, I have think been we're Jordan. done here. This has been the Review Name Podcast, and just to be clear, I am the one who knocks. <laughs>